We should have an expectation that God is gonna show up at our workplaces as much as we have an expectation he's gonna show up here. I, I really strongly feel that for resurgence specifically. And, and if we want to see revival in Edmonton, it's going to happen when we stop just expecting God to do things when we gather as churches. We start to expect he's going to do things when we're hanging out with our neighbors. We expect he's going to start to do things when we walk into our offices. We should be praying just as fervently for our day at work as we should for our service on a Sunday morning. We should be saying, God, I want to see your glory here. I want you to be glorified here in my place of work. What could happen if we walked into our offices and we said, let your glory be manifested here today, God? What could happen? Our lives will bear much fruit when we have that mindset, when we have that mentality, because we carry the presence of God with us. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of resurgence and how you can take part, check out liveresurgence.com. Um, yeah, tonight we're talking about fruitfulness. Um, like uh, like Lija and Jess so beautifully uh, set the stage for us tonight, our values at resurgence, one of them is being fruitful. And this is a little bit of a weird value. As we, were, as we were talking about what we wanted to define ourselves as as a ministry, the word fruitful kind of seemed a little bit out of place because fruitfulness isn't something that we can do. We can value fruitfulness all we want, but we can't produce fruit on our own. To actually live out the value of fruitfulness, we need to be posturing ourselves for the work that God does in us so that our lives produce much fruit. And so when I was thinking about that and thinking about resurgence, that value really makes sense because um, being fruitful is about allowing God to do a work in us that takes us out into the world. That actually, it's, so, so when we think about being fruitful, we think about resurgence isn't just for what happens in this room. Resurgence is for what happens when we go. What happens in here should be producing something in us so that when we're at our places of work, when we're at our churches, when we're out at school, wherever we go in our day-to-day -day lives, the fruit that's being produced in us should be pointing people to Jesus. And so when we think about fruitfulness at Resurgence, we've defined it as we are intentional about our everyday actions. That what happens here at our gatherings is not just for the sake of the gatherings. We want to see it producing fruit that goes from here. And so today, um, and, and if you look at our website, actually, the, uh, the, we go a little deeper into what fruitfulness looks like for us. And it says, it says this, that God's plan is for his children to partner with him. He's created each of us for a specific purpose. With this in mind, we can be intentional in all that we do so his love is shared with others. And uh, in my devotional reading today, I was actually reading through Matthew 7, and, and, um, and, and it really just showed the importance of this value of fruitfulness. And so I want to read that for you, uh, for you now. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruit. 
As I was uh, thinking about that, I, I read that today. I wasn't planning on sharing that tonight, but it just showed how important this is to Jesus. The way that we live our lives, what our life reflects to everyone that we come in contact with is a sign of how, who and what we're connected to. And so when we are rooted in Jesus and our lives are producing good fruit, that, that's what we're invited into. And if our life is not producing good fruit, then that means we're not rooted in Christ. And so... Um, Again, what we experience here at Resurgence is not just for our sake. It's to go into all the world. Uh, there's a story by John Tyson. He talks about a time when him and his son were at a graveyard looking at tombstones. And uh, he writes this. The thing that you notice about all these people is that their tombstones contain two dates. The date of their birth and the date of their death. And a tiny dash between them. The whole of your life on earth is going to come down to that little dash this is John talking. Then I pressed in a bit further to my son. I said, what will your dash be? I don't know, he said. I guess I'm still trying to figure it out. After a moment of reflection, he said, what do you think makes a great dash, dad? That, my son, is the greatest question a person can ask. The call of Jesus is not just about morality or doctrine, religious performance or outreach. It's about living well. It's about learning to live in this way in the world that the way we live produces the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the kingdom in our lives. That little dash. What is our life going to produce? What are we going to be remembered for? And so as I was praying about today and trying to think about this sermon on fruitfulness, this is something that I've given a lot of thought to and something that, that I've spent a lot of time studying. And so I was asking the Father, what, what do you want me to say about this? What, what do you want me to say? And, and, I, and I spent some time journaling and praying, and, and I really sensed the Lord say three words to me. And those words were abide, become, and go. And as I was praying into that, I just, I just saw throughout the Bible, there's different passages about fruitfulness, and those are three themes that, that those draw out. And so today I just want to talk about that our lives produce fruit as we abide in Christ, as we become like Christ, and as we go with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so those are the, the three ideas that I want to look at today. And, um, and, and my hope and prayer is that, um, that we would see how important each one of those things are. That, that good fruit is when we're doing all three of those things. And I'm going to get more into that at the end. But the first thing, the most important thing when it comes to bearing fruit in our lives is abiding in Christ Jesus. Abide in Christ. Uh, Philippians 3 has this um, incredible, it's just an incredible passage where Paul is reflecting on his life and his ministry and uh, what he has uh, accomplished in his life. And what he says is this. He says, If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I've been circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so Paul is lift, lifting, he's listing off all of these things that they would have associated as good things, like fruitful things for somebody in his time. This would have been like good fruit according to the religious leaders of the day. But what does Paul say after that list? He says, whatever gain I had, these I've come to regard as a loss 
for the sake of Christ Jesus. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul understood that any fruit that he had in his ministry, anything that he did that was good, it didn't even come close to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ was the most important thing. And so our life will not produce any fruit unless we abide in Christ Jesus. We start living fruitful lives when we abide in him. And uh, the passage that really highlights this is John 15. And we're going to start in verses 4 to 5. John 15, verse 4 and 5 says this. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Our life of fruitfulness starts with abiding. This word abide in the Greek is meonate. It's equivalent to not departing, not to leave, to continue to be present, to maintain unbroken fellowship with and adhere to another. Abiding in Christ is this whole idea that in everything I do, I'm doing it with Jesus. He is right there with me. It's this idea of building a deep relationship with, this idea of staying present with Jesus no matter what we're doing. The fruit that is produced in our lives is a direct result of abiding with Christ in relationship with him. This is where our identity is formed. This is where we know that what we are producing is consistent with the character of Jesus. Because if we're not spending time with him, if we're not sitting at his feet and learning from him and and growing in our relationship with him, how will we know what he's calling us to do? Abide in me. Our relationship with Jesus is the primary rich soil where fruitfulness is possible. It's where the, the only way our lives produce fruit is if we have this posture of abiding in Christ Jesus. We don't produce fruit on our own effort. (laughs) I'm just going to say that again. Our lives will not produce any fruit on our own effort. As Christians, we can't just say, here's this area of sin that I struggle with. I'm just going to try really, really hard to stop struggling with that sin. Or here's this neighbor or this person that I'm having a really hard time loving. I'm just going to like will it that I'm going to love them, you know? Like I'm going to try really hard to love them and I'll be able to love them. No, we can't do that. We, the Holy Spirit transforms us as we abide in Christ that we're able to do those things. We don't grow in fruitfulness by our own effort. Uh, the other reality is that we don't, we, even for like the fruit of seeing other people come to know Jesus, I can't save anyone. I can't change any of your minds. My, my job isn't to, um, to change all of your minds or, or whatever. My job's not to save my neighbor. That's God's job. And so fruitfulness for me looks like partnering with him and being faithful to him, being obedient to him so that the life change can happen in them as I walk in relationship with Jesus. It's not about me changing or efforting to to get these things done. It's about knowing Jesus and letting him do those things through our lives. It's interesting because Jesus's fruitfulness actually came from his perfect obedience to the Father and his understanding of his identity as a son. Everything that Jesus did on the earth came because he was abiding in the Father. Isn't that really interesting? 
Jesus's ministry, his power came out of his abiding with God the Father. And we see this right at the beginning, right at his baptism, right at the start of his ministry, before Jesus does any miracles, before he does anything else, he's baptized by John. And what happens when Jesus is baptized by John? It says, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit ascended on Jesus like a dove and the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So before Jesus did any ministry, he, he knew that he was pleasing God. He knew that God was pleased with him because he abided with his father. Because he remained connected to his father. We see this all throughout Jesus' ministry, especially in the book of Mark. He, he repeats over and over again how Jesus went to a lonely place to pray. Jesus went to a lonely place to pray. If Jesus needed to do that, if that was important to him, I think it needs to be important to us. And so if we want our lives to produce fruit, we need to abide in Jesus. John 5, 19 is this amazing verse. Um, Jesus actually says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so Jesus' level of abiding with the Father literally translated to every decision that he made. In everything that he did, he said, God, what are you doing? Who do you want me to go to in this circumstance? I think of when Jesus healed the man at the well. Uh, there was this story where there was this well and there was this weird superstition that if people jumped into the well, when the waters were stirred up, they would get healed, right? There's, and so Jesus shows up at this place. There's all these people that need healing there. There's probably like hundreds of people trying to get healing. But Jesus ends up talking to this one guy who's unable to get into the water himself. And, and I, I'm, just, I'm just speculating here, but if, if what Jesus is saying is true, when he arrives at that situation, he's saying, God, who do you want me to pay attention to here? Father, who are you seeing that I need to go and pray for? Because he's abiding in Christ. Every, or he's abiding in the Father. Every decision that he makes, he is partnering with God. That's what abiding looks like. It looks like when we show up at work, we're saying, God, who do you want me to pay attention to today? What do you want my attitude to be today? Who, who, how do you want me to treat my neighbor today? What do they need from me today? I only do what I see the Father doing. And again, this comes from a place of identity. It comes from a place of allowing the Father, allowing Jesus to speak to our hearts, to speak to who we are. Because when we only do what we see the Father doing, when we're operating from a place of abiding in Christ, when his pleasure, when his life is the most important thing to us, we just all saying that, we are released to be who we truly are when we're working from a place of abiding. Because we allow God to speak to our hearts about who we are, and we operate from that place. Um, this is actually a really important thing for me, because, um, and I'm going to get a little vulnerable here, here tonight, but uh, 2020, as I'm sure for a lot of us in the room, it was one of the hardest years of my life. Because um, on top of COVID, we had some really intense things happen in our family, uh, some sickness, and um, my job at the church, it was very challenging. Being a pastor in COVID is very challenging. This is just a side note. You all need to go thank your pastors, and you need to tell them you love them and that you're praying for them, because pastoring through COVID has been, it was one of the hardest things, and I know I'm not alone in saying that, and there's stats out there that 60% of pastors want to quit. And so I encourage you, go tell your pastor you love them, write them an encouragement note, take them out for coffee, whatever. But um, that's just an aside. But back to my story. Uh, partway through 2020, 
um, everything was going on with COVID and um, we just had a new baby and we, it was just a really difficult time. And, and something that, that had happened in me is I lived from a place of guilt and shame, primarily. I operated out of guilt and shame, not out of abiding in Christ. And because of that, I would be at church and I would be working and I would feel guilty because I wasn't at home helping my wife with our kids and, and being there. And then whenever I was at home, I would feel guilty because I wasn't at work, I wasn't doing the ministry. And, uh, and then I would get complaints or I would be in the middle of a big deal or issue and I would feel guilty. It's all my fault. What am I doing wrong? And, um, and I started having severe anxiety, panic attacks, and I basically met with our church board chair, who's also a psychologist, and he said, you need to take a stress leave, like you should be done working right now. <laughs> and so a couple of weeks later, I, I started this stress leave, and, and it was during these few months where I didn't have any ministry to worry about, I didn't have any, um, any title to, to really worry about, that God stripped away a lot of my false identity. And he said, You've been, the Lord really showed me that I had been operating from guilt and shame. I hadn't been operating from a place of abiding in Christ. And so um, what happened during this time is God actually set me free from the power of guilt and the power of shame. I realized that so many of the decisions that I used to make were out of guilt or out of people pleasing or out of how is this going to make me feel better or advance me or, 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 or and I, I literally was like... I. I felt like I couldn't make a mistake because I just had so much guilt in me. And so God actually stripped away at those layers. And he showed me a lot of the sources of that from when I was really young. And he helped me to walk in freedom over that. Um, but the, the ultimate way that I was able to come to that place was by getting back to abiding in Christ. By saying, God, my relationship with you is the most important thing. Who you say I am is the most important thing. The way that you're calling me to live is the most important thing. And the amazing thing is, once God set me free from guilt and shame, it, it totally changed how I saw my calling. I, I realized that, that God had called me to, to be with resurgence. And, and I was in this season where God was calling me to this role at this ministry. And, and for what, I just could not bring myself to leaving McKernan because I just felt so much guilt. I was like, I don't know that I can make this transition because I'm just going to let people down. And I had all these really bad views of myself in the midst of that. But God set me free from all of that. And he allowed me to walk into what he's called me to do in a new and an amazing way. And again, that, that came from abiding. It came from abiding. It's interesting because if you ask me like what I did during my stress leave... I don't, it's like a blur. I don't even really remember much. All I know is that I spent a lot of time just being with my family, being with Jesus, being present to the moments that I was in and not letting all of the other stuff overwhelm me, but just being with him. And so abiding is so important. It's so important. So how do we abide? The first and most important thing, I think, is fostering our secret place with God. Secret place with God is just this idea of who are you when it's just you and God? What is your heart posture when there's nobody else around and it's just you and him? I actually used to be afraid of my secret place with God when I was struggling with guilt and shame. Because whenever I was alone, I would have negative self-thoughts. And so abiding in Christ meant actually coming and saying, I'm, I'm going to reject the guilt and the shame, and I'm going to come before Jesus and let him speak to my heart. 
But the secret place with God is such an important thing. Jesus talked about it. He modeled it. He taught on it. And there's just some really practical things. We got prayer, just connection with God, talking to him, letting him talk to us. Prayer, silence and solitude, getting away, shutting off all of the noise, just, just being with him in your thoughts. Worship, turning on some worship music or soaking music and just adoring Jesus. Foster your secret place. Abide. This is really important. I'm going to talk a little bit at the end about um, some ways practically that, that I've seen this come out, but um, foster your secret place. And then another thing is abiding in his presence throughout our day. This is what I said earlier about John when Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So wherever you go, say, Jesus, thank you that you come with me, that you go ahead of me, that, that I get to partner with you in whatever I'm doing. Abide in Christ. That's the first key to a fruitful life. The second is become like Christ. Our lives produce fruit as we become like Christ. Psalm 1 talks about this, and it's pretty, uh, pretty powerful and pretty intense. It says this, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season. Their leaves do not wither, and all they do, they prosper. What this verse tells me is that there's a connection between our character, how we live our life, and the type of fruit that we produce. Because if, if we're abiding in Christ, hopefully we would start to look like Christ Jesus. This is not an overnight thing. Fruitfulness is not something where just like, tomorrow I'm going to be more joyful. Tomorrow I'm going to love people more. Fruitfulness is a journey. It's a surrender daily to God. Um, becoming like Christ, the, the passage that, that God led me to as I was preparing this was Galatians 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but Graham Cook has an amazing teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. If you just Google Graham Cook, fruit of the Spirit, you'll probably find it. It's one of the best teachings I've ever heard on the fruit of the Spirit. But what he says is this, that the fruit of the Spirit is the power of God to enable us to become Christ-like. The fruit of the Spirit is the power of God to enable us to become Christ-like. Um, so we, we all know how trees and fruit work, right? An apple is going to make an apple tree. Orange, or sorry, other way around. Apple tree is going to make apples. Orange tree is going to make oranges. All of this. Uh, and similarly, what happens when you squeeze fruit? You get juice out of it, right? And so if you squeeze an apple, you get apple juice. You squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. What happens when you squeeze a Christian? <laughs> When we are facing the pressure of life, when we are facing difficulties, when, when we see what's going on in the news, what's happening in our life, the pressure, what comes out of us? That's fruit. Is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Then that means you're abiding in Christ. That means you're becoming like Christ. Because what comes out of us when we're pressured, what comes out when, when we're going through difficulties and, and things like that? That's, that's the fruit of our life. Is it good fruit? Is it in line with the character and becoming like Christ or not? Galatians 5, 16 and on. I'm going to read for you. Let me find it here. Excuse me. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. 
But if you, let, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, enemy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. It's an intense list. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if that's what's coming out of us when we're under pressure, we need to pay attention. Where are we abiding? Who are we becoming like? Verse 22, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. What's interesting as I was studying this, this verse is that the first part of the passage, when it's listing off all those negative things, talks about the works of the flesh. Right? Works are something that we do. Works are, are, are like our own stuff. But it doesn't say the works of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is what God does in us. So that when we are under pressure, when we grow, when we, when, we, um, when we are going through life, we become those things because he's the one doing it in us. Fruit must grow out of life. And for us, that is life in the Spirit. The Spirit produces living fruit. Our character transformation into Christ's likeness produces the kind of fruit that is integral to life in the kingdom. If we are going to live out a life like Jesus lived, those qualities are what it looks like. When I think of Jesus, he would have been the most loving. He would have been the most joyful. He would have been the most patient. He, he, just the way that he lived his life, I, I think every single one of those fruits, he would have had in abundance. And uh, I quickly want to just talk about each one of these fruits just because I think they, they paint a picture of what life in the Spirit looks like. And I think they also are in contrast to the way of the world. Because I think um, what, but, but interestingly enough, what the world needs most is for Christians to be embodying each one of these fruits. And so in becoming like Christ, in bearing fruit, we, um, we, we show the world who Jesus is. And so just, uh, I'm going to go through them all pretty quickly. But the first one is we, the first fruit is love. And I want to propose that love is uh, opposed to selfishness. And love is the first fruit and it's foundational to all of the rest. Jesus said that loving God and loving your neighbor actually satisfies all of the commands in the entire Old Testament. And so when we think about love, um, love, is, the, the word for love here is agape. It's this idea of altruistic love. It's love that is completely self-giving, wishing the best of the other. It's not love like our culture, which is linked to tolerance and, and just letting people be who they are. That's not the type of love that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about self-giving love, wanting the best for the other person, loving them even though you probably and may not get anything back. Love. Um, one of the uh, commentaries that I read, he talks about how the fruit of the Spirit, love is kind of like a prism. And so love is like the light that shines to the rest of the fruits. And so um, when we live with love, the other fruit also are coming out of us. The next one is joy. Joy instead of despair. How, how much does the world need this right now? 
Joy is such an incredible sign and should be such an incredible witness for us as followers of Jesus, just to have joy in the midst of difficulty. Joy in, in the Greek is defined as a gladness or a delight. It's defined as an intensity of gladness that may not always make sense. That even in the midst of difficult situations, we can choose to, to, to have joy. It doesn't mean that we need to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean that we need to pretend that everything's okay when it's not. But it means that when we walk through the difficulties of life, we don't let despair run our life. We say, God, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to be, that, that my reality in, in you is more real to me than what I'm walking through right now that may be difficult. We are able to have joy in the midst of our difficulties when the object of our joy is found outside of ourselves, in who God is, in his promises, and in what we are saved from. We can have joy. The next fruit is peace instead of anxiety. Um, an amazing definition of, of anxiety that I heard from John Mark Comer, who's an amazing Bible teacher. He says, anxiety is viewing the future without Jesus in it. Anxiety is when we allow the circumstances of our life to flood our thinking and we can't see how Jesus might be at work in the midst of it. Peace, in contrast, is this deep knowing that God has our best interest in mind, even when it doesn't make sense. Peace is also carrying the, the goodness of Christ wherever we go. The word, uh, one of the words for peace used in the, the Old Testament is shalom. Shalom is this whole idea of wishing God's intention on someone. So peace is actually seeing someone as God sees them. It's being able to walk into a difficult circumstance and change the atmosphere because we carry peace with us. Peace instead of anxiety. We don't let all of the craziness that we're going through control us. We realize that we have peace living on the inside of us. And that's what manifests in our life. The next fruit is patience. Patience instead of hurry. I feel like patience is like the quintessential fruit whenever someone's like, which one do you need more of? Everyone's like, patience. I can use a bit more patient. And then, you know, you hear that like, God, make me more patient. Dangerous prayer. Very dangerous prayer. But patience is, um, the, the word for it is a long Greek word, it's, um, but it means forbearance or long-suffering. It's this idea, it, it's not just waiting for this, it's not just like, you know, my two-year-old, you can't have your ice cream yet, you need to eat your broccoli first. Like, that's, that's not patience, it's this idea that no matter what we walk through, um, we can, we can uh, have this, like, trust in God's timing, we can have this trust that no matter what we're going through, he, he sees the big picture. And we can trust that, that he, is the he has the best for us. Um, we often have a temptation when we're going through difficult seasons. We just want them to end. But, but, but oftentimes, patience means, God, I don't want the season to end until you've done in me what you need to do in me. You know? I, feel, I, I just feel like I need to share this. There may be a desire for a spouse for some of us. Maybe patience means, God, make me the person that I need to be to marry somebody. And patience is actually taking that posture of saying, you know, I'm not going to try to control everything to, to move out into this next season or find that person. I'm going to say, God, what do you need to do in me so that I can become that person? Patience. The next one is kindness instead of indifference. 
Kindness is a reflection of the heart of God. And kindness ultimately comes down to how we treat people who are different from us. Uh, one of the things that uh, was kind of cool out of COVID, right when, uh, when everything was really locked down, a friend of ours did this campaign. They called it hashtag combat COVID with kindness. And so they were asking, like, how are some ways that you're actually showing your neighbors kindness in this season? And uh, people were posting stories, and, um, and a couple of them were kind of cool, but uh, one of them was said, my work in my neighborhood has become much more public. I'm doing less Zoom, but I'm offering prayers and walking my neighborhood more. I'm meeting new people. I'm talking much more deeply and sharing their fears and sharing my faith. The chatting is on a different level. It's not just sports or weather. We share grief and loss we notice that hope might be able to come out of all of this. Kindness is that ability to treat people like Jesus, to see people like Jesus would see them and treat them like he would treat them. The next one is goodness. Goodness and kindness are very closely linked together. Uh, kindness has a lot more to do with how we treat others. Goodness has more to do with our own morality, um, our own actions. If kindness, again, if kindness has to do with, our, with how we treat others, goodness has to do with our disposition or our tendencies. Goodness is spiritual, moral excellence or virtue. It's this understanding of, um, of I want to live my life in line with the teachings of Jesus, in line with the teachings of the Bible. And so goodness... Um, is an interesting one because I think in our culture, the idea of goodness is almost like when you live with moral ambiguity, how do you know what's good and what's not good? And so the reality of goodness is that we need to understand that goodness is defined by what the scriptures say, not what we subjectively believe to be good. And so goodness is the ability to say, even though the world says this is good, I don't, I'm not going to say this is good. And I'm going to walk out in opposition to what the world's saying. We need to understand that our actions can be a reflection of the goodness of God to other people. And so when people see us, we should be living our lives differently. Our lives should look different. So that when those who don't know Jesus see us and they see the goodness that we've chosen to live, they'll say, I want to be a part of that. What, what makes you not do this? Why do you believe in this? Goodness instead of immorality. The next one's faithfulness. And I say faithfulness is instead of apathy. Faithfulness is consistency in your promises, unwavering and being trustworthy. It's faithfulness in our commitments to other people. It's faithfulness in our walk with God. The next one's gentleness instead of brashness. Gentleness is another interesting one. Um, it's not often that I hear gentleness is the one people are like, oh, I want to grow in gentleness. Um, but gentleness is actually a really powerful one because gentleness is, is really linked to humility. It's linked to meekness. Meekness is strength that's under control. And so a gentle person is somebody who, who's able to keep control. Again, self-control is closely tied to this too. But uh, gentleness, I, uh, I think one of the ways that we see is my life producing fruit in this area. How, how, <laughs> I was pretty convicted of this, but how are we treating other people online? What is our posture towards other people that we disagree with? Is it a gentle disposition? Do people want to be around us? Do they know that even if they say something we disagree with, we're not going to like go crazy. We're going to love them. We're going to be gentle with them. We're going to be humble and listen and share with them. The last one is self-control. Self-control is that idea of being restrained or having a moderating influence on ourselves. 
Self-control is not about being is about not being controlled by our ungodly desires, but being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because as I was reading the commentaries, I didn't realize this, but self-control was it was actually the ultimate value of the world in Paul's day. And so the ultimate value that the Greeks and the Romans had was self-control. Like if you reached the ability to control yourself, you'd reach the pinnacle of, of what you thought. But when Paul says self-control, where did he put it on the list? He put it last. Whereas the culture would have said self-control is the most important thing, Paul put self-control at the bottom. And, and a lot of commentators assume the reason for that is because he's saying that self-control is actually, it's not the most important thing, but self-control, but self-control has to go through the filter of the other fruits. And so self-control, again, is the ability to say, Holy Spirit, it's interesting because self-control is, is really just the ability to be spirit-controlled <laughs> in some ways. Like, the most self-controlled followers of Jesus are those who are most, most under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of self-control really manifests itself when we face temptation or when we face adversity. Again, self-control doesn't mean I'm just going to work harder, I'm just going to try harder to not do this sin. Self-control means, Holy Spirit, you, I'm completely yielded to you. Completely yielded to you. My desires do not control me. You control me. So those are the fruit of the Spirit. And so again, going or abiding in Jesus is the first part in bearing fruit. The second one is becoming like Jesus. And, and, and one of the things that, that, again, the reasons why a lot of commentators believe Paul wrote these fruits is because Jesus was perfect in all of these things. And so one of the, uh, one of the things that, that I've heard taught on the fruit of the Spirit is that, uh, like, just pick one of the fruit. Like, what's one fruit that you really need to grow in in this season? Just think about that right now. And then, and then rather than praying, like, God, make me more that thing, pray, God, you are perfect in patience. You are the most patient person who's ever, who's ever existed. Jesus, you were perfectly patient. God, Father, you are perfectly patient. Give me a revelation of your patience so that patience starts to manifest itself in my life. Because we become what we behold. And so if we're spending our time looking at the God of patience, looking at the God of kindness, looking at the God of gentleness, and we're, we're just sitting at his feet, that's where we become those things. You can't just will yourself to be more patient. You can't. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen when we say, God, show me your patience. Show me your kindness. Like I've never seen it before. And then we let him show it to us so that our lives can start to produce that. I don't just say we become what we behold. That's actually a Bible verse in 2 Corinthians. It says that, that, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as we gaze at him, we become like him. As we see, it's, it actually says we see him as in a mirror, which means we're looking at ourselves like a mirror, so we're seeing ourselves, but we're becoming like him as we gaze at him. We become what we behold. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What I love about that glory to glory tells me that there's always more. You're never going to fully arrive. We're always going to be more and more like Jesus. And so becoming like Jesus is actually like, it, it, it is um, th this whole, it's a continuous process. We're never fully going to arrive. It's always going to be who we become as we behold him. 
So practices of becoming like Jesus, the first is becoming or beholding Jesus. Um, Another way I think we grow in becoming like Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit is that we find communities that embody these fruits and practice confession, accountability, and prophecy. And I specifically chose those three words because I think they're really important. I think who we surround ourselves with, we're going to produce fruit that looks like the people we spend the most time with. It's just going to happen. And so we need to be a part of communities that are embodying the fruit of the Spirit because we'll kind of like together grow into those things. Confession is this idea of of confessing our sin to one another, saying, you know, I really struggle with patience, or I really have a hard time with this. Would you pray for me? Or I flipped out at my wife last week. These sort of things, like confessing to one another, is super important. The next thing is accountability. Accountability isn't just telling someone you screwed up. Accountability is having someone in your life that you can talk to before you screw up. So when the temptation comes, you can say, hey, I'm really feeling this right now. I need you to pray for me. I'm really feeling tempted to go struggle or tempted to do something. Or uh, or I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling depressed or anxious. Pray for me. Accountability isn't just, hey, I screwed up. Oh, me too. Too bad. Accountability is like, I have someone who loves me enough to ask every day, how's this been going? I have someone who loves me enough that I can text them when I know I'm feeling vulnerable accountability. The final one is prophecy. And I think prophecy is important to becoming like Christ because prophecy speaks out how God sees us to another person. And so if I'm prophesying over Jeremy, I'm saying to Jeremy how God sees him. And and I might say to Jeremy, like, God sees you as the most gentle person. I'm just using an example. It's not a prophetic word. (laughs) Sorry. That was really awkward. I didn't, like get a, I didn't like get a revelation in that moment. That's all I'm saying. This is an example. But like, the, uh, I could say, we, we say through prophecy, this is how God sees you. This is what he's calling out of you. And we speak that out. And, and we say, you, Jeremy, God sees you as gentle. He's calling that out of you. He is going to put, he's going to put in your life places and, and circumstances where gentleness is going to flow out of you and actually make an impact on people. I actually do see this, Jeremy. I see you ministering on the streets. I see you ministering on the streets and your gentle presence is going to go into a circumstance and bring fruit and life into a place. And so prophecy actually speaks those things out into people. The next uh, practice of becoming like Jesus is get everything out of our life that's producing negative fruit. <laughs> get it out of your life. Cut it out of your life. I can't, I, 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 if there's something in your life, you're like, this, if it's a relationship or, or, if, it's, um, or, or if it's different uh, movies that we watch or, or podcasts we listen to or social media platforms, if there's things in our life that are producing fruit that is not in line with the fruit of the Spirit, just cut it out of your life. We want to become like Jesus. We need to make this a priority. So the first thing in fruitfulness is abide in Christ. The second thing is become like Christ. And the third is go with Christ. Go with Christ. Wherever we go, we carry Jesus with us. And and fruit happens around us when we have that uh, mentality. Um, There's a quote that uh, it, it often gets said, and I actually don't like it. But it's a quote that says, share the gospel every day. If necessary, use words. I don't really like that quote. Because I think sharing the gospel is, is about 
declaration, or sorry, sharing the, the gospel, yes, is about demonstration, but it's also about declaration. Sharing the gospel is about being bold enough to actually say, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is, this is the way that, that he has worked in my life to people that don't know him. And actually be bold enough to say, like, I want to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> you don't have to look at my Instagram for very long to know that I'm an Oilers fan. <laughs> like, I think sports team fans are the biggest evangelists for their team ever. Yes, come but why don't we have that same enthusiasm about Jesus? We've been saved from eternal death and brought into the fullness of life. We shouldn't have any issue sharing the gospel and using words. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't mean that we, um, we, we just go and kind of like use the bullhorn, kind of standing on the soapbox. Like, that's not what I'm proposing. Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. And salt is a seasoning. It's not like you pour in. I once made the mistake of uh, using salt in cookies instead of sugar. It didn't take me very long to understand why Paul said, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Because if you just dump it in, it's not, that's not what it is. It's seasoned with salt. So in everything we do, how are we pointing people to Jesus? How are we seasoning our conversation with salt? Um, it's interesting because uh, one of our, one of the people we've been getting to know that doesn't know Jesus, um, we, uh, we've been taking this kind of approach, just praying for her and her family regularly. And, um, and, and just being honest with her. What did you do this week? I know we went to church. What did you do for work? Oh, I'm, I'm a minister. Like, we really just kind of letting our speech be seasoned. Or, and we just would say to her often, we're praying for you. Like, is there any ways we can pray for you? And it's amazing because she's actually started to initiate wanting to come to church with us now. She said, what church are you guys going to? I think I want to come with you. Like, I see you guys always with these amazing people. Like, I want to be a part of it. it. It's not complicated. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. We talk about what we love. <laughs> and so when, when we are so enamored with Jesus, we'll talk about him wherever we go. Um, I found a really cool quote by Todd White. He says, doing witnessing is work, but being a witness is a lifestyle. Doing a witness is work, but being a witness is a lifestyle. Jesus gave two commissions. The first is in Matthew 28. Hopefully we're all familiar with, with these ones. But Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'm just going to nerd out a little bit here because um, the word that Jesus used in the Greek when he said go into all the nations is something called aortist tense. We don't, the, the word go in English isn't necessarily the best translation of what Jesus actually said. What Jesus actually said was, as you go, make disciples. Aortus tense is that like present active. So it's like, it's not just a, something you do, it's something that you are doing. Does that make sense? And so Jesus said, as you go, make disciples. He's not saying like, you're not making disciples now, but you will be later. He's saying, in everything you do, make it about making disciples. That's the great commission. That's what Jesus said. And it wasn't just contained to one space. It was all across the world. And he gets on that in Acts 1 verse 8 as well. Acts 1.8 is one of my favorite verses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's such an amazing picture because Jesus puts them in context of where they are. Jerusalem is like your immediate family. It's like your close people. 
Judea is like the next step out, like people that you would interact with at work, like people that you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't see on a regular basis, like people or, or, or people that are maybe outside of your neighborhood. Samaria is the people that you don't like. Samaria is the people that have different views from you. It's the people that have different backgrounds from you. It's the people that have different uh, upbringings from you. And frankly, the people that don't like that you're a Christian and don't like Jesus. Samaria. And finally, the ends of the earth. That's everyone. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses in all these places. So the fruit is seeing those people that we interact with coming into relationship with Jesus. The fruit is seeing them make decisions to move closer to him. But again, like I said, that's not our job. Our job is to be obedient. Our job is to be obedient to go, to receive, and to be witnesses. That's our job. The fruit is his job. He's the one that draws people. We get to be a part of it. We should have an expectation that God is going to show up at our workplaces as much as we have an expectation he's going to show up here. I, I really strongly feel that for resurgence specifically. And, and if we want to see revival in Edmonton, it's going to happen when we stop just expecting God to do things when we gather as churches. We start to expect he's going to do things when we're hanging out with our neighbors. We expect he's going to start to do things when we walk in to our offices. We should be praying just as fervently for our day at work as we should for our service on a Sunday morning. We should be saying, God, I want to see your glory here. I want you to be glorified here in my place of work. What could happen if we walked into our offices and we said, let your glory be manifested here today, God? What could happen? Our lives will bear much fruit when we have that mindset, when we have that mentality, because we carry the presence of God with us. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of us. And so we carry the same presence of Jesus wherever we go. And a life of fruit, again, is, is about making our posture, making our, our, our reality completely yielded to him. To say, God, have your way in me. Do in me whatever you need to do to see your kingdom come in this place. Again, our mandate is to make disciples. Our mandate is to go into all the world. Our mandate is to be witnesses to Jesus wherever we go. And our lives will bear fruit when we make that our aim. Practices of going. The first one, get to know your neighbors. <laughs> get to know the people that you live near. Honestly, like we, my wife and I were really intentional when we moved into the neighborhood that we're in because we see ourselves being there for forever. Like we, we see ourselves at this place. And so we said, we are going to get to know our neighbors. And when COVID hit during the first lockdown, we, uh, again, this isn't to toot my horn. This is just an example. We, we wrote letters handwritten to all of our neighbors. There's like 57 homes in our circle. And we wrote a letter to each neighbor and we said, hey, we introduced ourselves. We said, we're praying for you. Do you need anything? We gave them our cell phone numbers. And it was amazing because like we had probably half of the neighborhoods call us and let them know who we were, who they were. And now when we, and we like, we always do the same walk with our kids. And like, we, we always try to, to interact with our neighbors whenever we go for a walk. We're never in a rush. We always try to just take our time and have long conversations. One of the things, this is an interesting one that I haven't done yet, but I will see how, I'll let you know how it goes. But I feel like I'm supposed to move my, my fire pit to my front yard this year. Just a simple thing. 
But just like if I'm having like if I'm out there with friends and we're we're smoking marshmallows or whatever and <laughs> smoking marshmallows. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> this just I'm just awkward sometimes. I'm just gonna have a sip of water. It's <laughs> going off the rails. You want to smoke marshmallows, neighbor? <laughs> this is where the glory's at. <laughs> Sorry. Roasting marshmallows. <clears throat> Just being out there in the front yard as they walk by. Like I did something last year where I put my projector in my garage, and I just would have my garage open, and we'd be watching games, and neighbors would just come by and sit and watch the game with us. Like There's simple things you can do to get to know your neighbors. Do them. If you live in a condo, there's, some, there's, there's creative things you can do. Um, I've heard stories of people who did like, they were kind of like their condo mom and pop, right? Like they just kind of knocked on the door and said, do you need anything? Like, can we serve you in any way? Like there's all sorts of ways that we can love our neighbors. Get to know them. The next thing is be intentional with your everyday interactions with people. Um, and what this looks like is just, again, like, is there any way that you want me to prophesy over this person today, Jesus? You don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to be like, thus saith the Lord. Like, you can say just like, hey, I really sense from the Father this over you. Or I, I just like, are you, str- like, are you needing prayer for this? Like, you don't have to be weird. Be intentional with your everyday interactions with people. And finally, pray for people often. Pray for your neighbors often. One of the things that challenged me a lot, a preacher that I was listening to said, if God were to like literally answer every prayer that you prayed in the last seven days, how many people would be saved today? That was like an arrow to my heart. I'm like, oh man. It's like, I haven't really been praying for my neighbors. Pray for your neighbors often. Because the Holy Spirit is one who draws people to himself. Our job is to just be a part of that. And so... Again, the big idea today is that we, our lives produce fruit when we abide, become, and go by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that last part is super important, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit does inside of us. Holy Spirit is the literal presence of God on the inside of us. And so when, when, we, become, when we, we are saved, we, we are, I believe that we receive the Holy Spirit but that's not all that God the Holy Spirit has for us. I believe that he wants to baptize us in his spirit, to fill us with his spirit, that we would be completely surrendered to him. One of the best and most simple explanations of baptism of the Holy Spirit that I've ever heard is like, think of a cup and a pitcher. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like you take the cup, or you take the water and you fill the cup. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like you take the cup and you put it in the pitcher. Completely immersed in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to have an opportunity tonight. If you want that, you can come forward and receive prayer for that. But it's all the Holy Spirit's work in us that allows this fruit to be produced in the first place. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Jesus said, I do not leave you alone. I have given you a comforter. I have given you a counselor to be with you, the Holy Spirit, so that you can continue to do the work that I did. Jesus actually said it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk out his mission. We are called to carry on the mission of Jesus. And this, the Holy Spirit is what enables us and empowers us to do that. Jesus actually said, and this, this is one of those verses that just every time I think about it, it just gets me. He said, you will do even greater works than I did because you have the, the Holy Spirit inside of you. You will do greater works than I did. 
I want that. <laughs> I want to see that. Again, not just for like our sake, not just for good meetings, but so that God's kingdom would be established here. So that we would be completely like, people would see us and they would see Jesus. People would see us and they would see this fruit and they would say, I want to be a part of that. And the last thing I want to say before the band comes up is, I think those three words that God gave me were very important and intentional. Abide, become, and go. Because we need all three of those things. If we abide and we don't go or we don't become, I think that's, we, we can just kind of like get really inward focused. Miss out on Jesus' heart for the world. If we go but we don't abide, then, then I think what could happen is we burn out. We get anxious. We start to feel like our identity is not found in Christ. It's found in what we do. If we go without becoming, that's where there's moral failure. That's where we may have a great platform on a stage, but we may be living a private life because we're going without becoming. We need all three of those things. We need to abide. We need to become, and we need to go. And again, this is all by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so um, what we're going to do now is um, I want to open the altar here up front. If you want to experience more of God, if you want to be prayed for, uh, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you want to, um, or if you just want to come in and just like take a, a physical expression of like, I want to respond to what's been taught today. I want my life to look like this. Then I, I want to invite you to come forward when the band starts. And then what we'll do is they're going to sing this song called Behold. It's just an amazing, amazing song that just speaks to that reality. We become what we behold. So we look to you, Jesus. So let's just look to him. And then once that song is done, we're going to invite the prayer team to come and they'll pray for people. But I'll kind of direct that. But why don't we all stand? You can dim the lights back. I'm going to pray. And then we'll, uh, we'll respond. Jesus, thank you so much that you call us to live lives of fruitfulness. Thank you we don't have to do that on our own strength. Thank you that it comes out of a place of beholding you, being filled with your Holy Spirit, that you send us, that you call us to obedience, you call us to, uh, to relationship and friendship, and out of that place, our lives produce fruit. And so God, I just pray for each one of my brothers and sisters in this place, Lord God, that our lives would produce much fruit, that we would be ones who, who see heaven wherever we go, because we carry the kingdom with us, because we abide in you. We allow you to shape and form our identity because we're becoming like you in everything we do, God. We're exuding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we're under pressure, when we're squeezed, what shows is Jesus. What we show the world is Jesus. Because God, I, I don't want us to just kind of go through this season and tolerate what's happening. I don't want us to just kind of move through this, this season and not give ourselves completely to what you might be calling us into. So Jesus, even tonight, we just come before you and we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. That we'd be filled with you. That our lives would produce much fruit. That we'd be obsessed with you, Jesus. That we would be walking in step with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about Resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.